Welcome to the Eerie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. We've been sharing a series called Heroes of the Faith. We've been taking a look at men and women from across the Bible to see how their stories can encourage and motivate our faith today. Each week, we've examined one man and one woman from the Bible, and we've featured a different pastor presenting each of these biblical characters. We've seen through the story of Rahab that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. The Apostle John's story shows us the importance of our intimate relationship with Jesus. The stories of Mary Magdalene and the Apostle Peter show Jesus overcoming our failures. The Apostle Philip and Queen Esther's stories demonstrate what can happen when we answer the call of God on our lives. Today is the conclusion to our series. Pastor Danielle Frano, our outreach pastor, will look into the life of James, the brother of Jesus. And finally, Pastor Quintlin Blad will wrap things up by sharing the story of Ruth. So let's get started today and conclude our Heroes of the Faith series. Here's Pastor Danielle. We are so excited to continue our summer series about our heroes of faith that we find in the scripture. For the entire month of July, we've been looking at profiles of men and women in scripture uh, who've made an impact in our lives, men and women who we can learn from and model our own spiritual lives after. So each week, you've heard from not one, but two of your favorite pastors, and they each have taken a person from the scripture and taught about him or her. So today, I will start, and then Pastor Quinn uh, will share his hero of faith after. Today, I'm going to talk about James, though often overshadowed by his more famous uh, half-brother, Jesus Christ. James stands as another true hero of faith, and he played a very significant role in the early church. And when we look at the epistle of James, we see so much challenging wisdom. And I'm sure a lot of us can quote a lot of the scriptures that we find in his book, like, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, right? Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you'll be healed, etc. We've heard a lot of that. And James was known for his deep wisdom in guiding the early church. It shows in Acts 15.31 where James presided over the Jewish community and offered guidance to the Gentiles. His epistle, the books of James, is a testament to his profound understanding of faith and works. He begins his book with uh, declaring his loyalty to the Lord James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattering among the nations. But did you know that he wasn't always a servant to Jesus? As a matter of fact, his story is more of disbelief and skepticism than of loyalty and love, and he was Jesus's half-brother. Before James became leader and a voice of wisdom to the early church, he was just his half-brother, and he doubted Jesus. James, like so many of us, began his journey with skepticism. Now, obviously, growing up alongside Jesus, he witnessed the miracles, heard his teachings, and saw his unwavering commitment to God. However, it wasn't until after Jesus' resurrection that James truly embraced his brother as the Messiah. We see proof of Jesus' siblings' denial in Scripture. Out of Mark 3.21, it indicates that the family thought Jesus was out of his mind. (laughs) When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. In John 7, there's a clear statement that his brothers did not believe that he was the Messiah. It says in verse 5, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. 
Now, while these verses don't explicitly name J James, it's very possible, obviously, that he was included in these stories. Now, why exactly did he doubt? The Bible doesn't state why James uh, initially did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah, but we can speculate a bit based on uh, history and cultural context. And remember, skepticism during this time and doubt weren't uncommon during these days, even to those closest to Jesus. But I mean, come on, right? Even though it was his half-brother, he probably didn't believe because it was his half-brother, right? He was his sibling. How many of you have siblings in here? Okay, so growing up with Jesus as his half-brother, James may have found it a little difficult to accept his claims as being the Messiah. I have four children, and when I think about the things that I've seen my children do to each other and in front of each other, I, I kind of understand where James is coming from. I think we have a picture here. This is my youngest child, and she has underwear stuck on her head by her brother. <laughs> or the time that I couldn't find two of my daughters and I found them trapped in the stow-and-go of my van uh, where they were locked that their siblings put there. So I think we could understand maybe why James doubted a little bit why, uh, how Jesus was the uh, Messiah. What about jealousy, sibling rivalry? I have a half-sister. I've never met her, uh, so I've always considered myself an only child. But even though I'd never met her, I was so jealous of her. Uh, my dad had an affair that she was a product of and would leave my mom all the time to go see her. And eventually my parents split up and I barely saw my dad. I always wondered, did he love her more than me? Does he think about her more? Does he see her more? And for a girl that already struggled so much wanting attention from a parent, especially a father, it really hurt my confidence and made me question my worth. Did I even deserve to have a father who loved me? And I'm sure many of us can say that our own self-consciousness causes our disbelief in the Messiah at times, our own Heavenly Father. We don't know exactly what James struggled with, but that's why his story is such an encouragement to us, because he was a real person, just like us, that became a great hero of faith. I'm sure culture also played a role in his disbelief. During Jesus' time, the Jewish people had certain expectations of the Messiah. They anticipated this powerful political leader, and instead they got this, uh, Jesus presented this very different message of spiritual redemption and the kingdom of God. So James, like many others, may have struggled to reconcile these differences. It could have also just been possible that James needed a personal encounter or revelation from Jesus' uh, identity to grasp him as the Messiah. His journey from doubt to disbelief serves as a powerful testament to the transformative power of the risen Christ. This part of James' story reminds us that faith is a personal journey. And even those closest to Jesus, even his own sibling, may require their own unique experiences to fully embrace him as Lord and Savior. James teaches us that faith is not inherited, but it's in discovered through personal revelation. And each of us need to make a conscious uh, decision to follow him. Our revelation and relationship with Jesus cannot be secondhand. So just because your grandma or your aunt believes in Jesus doesn't mean that automatically you're born into it. It also means that just because your grandpa or your aunt or your wife drags you to church, you're not automatically in the family of Jesus. So we all need a personal relationship with him. It wasn't until he experienced the resurrection that he believed, and we see this in Corinthians 15, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. 
James doubted, and God still chose him to be a part of his miracle. Now, the Bible doesn't specifically state why Jesus chose James to be present as his resurrection, but we see what happens because of him being there. And we may not be able to fully comprehend the intricacies of God's plan, but we can trust that his choices are purposeful and intentional. Jesus knew that providing James with a personal encounter would solidify his faith. He foresaw James' future as a role and as a leader in the early church. By witnessing the resurrection firsthand, James went from skeptic to devoted follower and was now equipped with everything he needed and a powerful testimony to share with others to help strengthen their faith. Ultimately, Jesus' choice to include James at the resurrection, despite his unbelief, was part of his divine plan. So let me ask you this. Is our unbelief bigger than God's plan? When we doubt, does that mean we're putting a stop to the mission that God is trying to accomplish? Having the Messiah use him despite his doubts, I have to believe, is what made James the confident, humble person that he emulates to us today. James' character was marked by humility and a servant's heart. So despite being Jesus' half-brother, he never sought to elevate himself or claim special privileges. Instead, he embraced a life of humility and service to others. The book of James teaches us that true greatness lies in serving others, that the kingdom of God is built on sacrifice and love. His example challenges us to examine our own lives and consider how we can humbly serve those around us. We can follow his lead today, right now, by actively seeking ways to serve others in our communities, churches, and families. And I just want to put in a shameless plug for Kingdom Builders that you can actually register right now and decide to serve if you would like to. Okay? Seriously, though, how easily James could have made things about him or his title. We learn a great lesson of humility here. It doesn't matter who we are. It's not about us. It never is. It's about how we can best serve those around us through the power of Jesus. James 4, 6 says, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James exemplified humility throughout his life. We should also be consciously cultivating humility in our interactions with each other. And this looks like recognizing our own limitations, what we're not good at, perspectives and contributions of others, and seeking opportunities to uplift those around us. Humility isn't necessarily thinking of ourselves less, but it's thinking of others more. James' life was marked by unwavering devotion to God and a heart of service to others. Studying his example has challenged me to really examine my own life and consider how can I better serve the people around me and around the world. His teachings emphasize that faith is not an abstract concept, but should be lived out in our everyday lives. Righteous actions, caring for the marginalized, and taming the tongue are all ways that we can actively seek to love the people around us. True faith is not merely a matter of belief, but demonstrated through acts of love and service. James 2 says in the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied if it's not accompanied by action, it's dead. All right, so let me say that again. Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, it is dead. So let's just be, let us be doers of the words and not just hearers. And I want to point out right here that he doesn't say works without faith is dead. I think sometimes we wait until we have that perfect faith to do the work. But I think the point of faith is even if we're having a hard time believing, rather than waiting on our own human nature, we should still live out the work, right? 
And sometimes things won't make sense or be in perfect order, but may, and maybe we have no idea what we're doing, which is my life most of the time. But we have to move anyway and just believe that it'll work, right? Like that's faith, right? That's believing in what we can't see. We can rely on faith so much, but it's not about us. It's about what God is trying to accomplish through us. We may doubt, but as long as we still step out and say, yes, God will use it. And fear Fear is honestly what typically clouds our faith. Fear tells us what we can't do and causes doubt. Hence why we should never make a decision or say no based on fear. We should never rely on our own understanding, but instead on the faithfulness of God. I hear uh, fears and doubts and insecurities quite often as people are deciding whether or not they should go on a mission trip. And it's actually been one of my favorite things watching the progression of doubt to faith to belief. Doubting they are capable, having faith in jumping in, and then seeing the belief in themselves and the Lord skyrocket because God's plan happened and it all worked out. I remember Jen Chamberlain told me before her first mission that she didn't think she should go because she felt so undeserving to serve. She came to Philly anyway, and the organization's cook dropped out when we got there. And God wound up using Jen to organize and execute a Thanksgiving meal feeding hundreds of homeless people. Matt Gear. Matt Gear, right before leaving on mission, almost backed out because he wasn't sure what value he could add to the team. He came anyway. The van transporting the team, getting them back and forth to attics in Kensington broke down. Matt's a mechanic. God used him to fix the vans, among many other things, because he still said yes. Listen, in 2016, a young female pastor with three children submitted her resume for lead pastor position. Despite not being sure she could do it, if she wanted to do it, and if her life could handle it. She sat in that very seat awaiting the boat to find out if God would choose her. And guess what? He did. And I'm so glad our lead pastor, Nicole Schreiber, chose faith over fear. James' unwavering commitment to Christ ultimately led to, his, to being martyred. Acts 12, it was about this time that King Herod arrested someone who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. He fearlessly, James fearlessly proclaimed the gospel, even in the faith, in face of persecution. James teaches us that following Jesus may require sacrifice, but challenges us to stand firm in our faith, and even when facing adversity, to move forward. As we reflect upon the life and character of James, the half-brother of Jesus, we can be inspired by his journey from skepticism to faith, his humility, his devotion to prayer and wisdom. Listen, we go and we proclaim because beside our biggest fears, God will allow us to see and partake in his miracles. James teaches us that no one, no one is beyond the reach of God's transforming love. His story reminds us that even the most skeptical hearts can be turned towards faith when touched by the power of the risen Christ. James could be so bold because he knew there is a God that loves him enough and will work through our weakness and his weakness to accomplish the mission. A God so full of grace that even when his own half-brother denied him, he still said, I choose you. And he still says that to us, each of you sitting here. James is an example that God's plan is greater than what we believe we are capable of. He is greater than our doubts. He believes in us. Listen, Jesus believes in us more than we believe in ourselves. When we mess up, when we're scared, when our lives are out of order, when we don't know what we're doing, he says, just choose me because I choose you. 
He chooses you to heal the sick, and he chooses you to preach, and he chooses you to go on that mission, to lead that ministry, to feed the hungry, to love the poor, to tell your neighbor about Jesus. He chooses you. It doesn't matter if you choose yourself. He says, I choose you because the mission is bigger than you. Listen, you have what it takes to accomplish the mission, to redeem all the world for the sake of the gospel. James' life serves as a reminder that heroes of faith are not limited to the famous or the prominent, but can be found in the ordinary and overlooked. He chooses us. He chooses you. And all we have to do is believe and say yes to him. So, Father God, we just give you our lives. We give you our doubts and insecurities, and we ask for an increase of your faith right now, an increase of who you are right now. God, as we lift our hands to you and we give our lives to you, God, we are asking that your Holy Spirit falls upon us, gives us confidence, gives us everything we need to boldly go out and proclaim your gospel, that whatever we're scared of today, whatever our fears are, we lay those things aside, and we give you our lives, and we say, God, use us. Use us because we love you, God, because of how big you are. Use us. We give you our lives, Jesus, our talents, our abilities, our passions, our resources, in order for your gospel to be spread around the world, God. Use us. We choose you, Jesus. Amen.
All right, well, here we go. This is our eighth and final hero of the faith. My name is Pastor Quint. I'm the executive pastor here, and I have the privilege of wrapping up uh, this summer series that we've been doing. Who's enjoyed this? Have you all enjoyed seeing these character studies, these personality profiles? We are going to look at the life of Ruth to wrap all this up today. Obviously, these are not the only eight heroes of the faith uh, described in the Bible or accounted for in the Bible. These are just the ones that we chose to hone in on. But the message that has been clear to me as I've sat down here and listened to all these is this. Since the beginning of time, God has used ordinary people to advance his kingdom and his plan for this world. And the reality is he is still doing that Today, he is still using ordinary people to advance his kingdom every single day. And so I hope that you understand that these folks that we've studied and the people who are listed in the Bible, they were not meant to be like Christian celebrities. You know that, right? You, you know that? Like I know in the West, in America, we just can't help ourselves. If someone accomplishes something, we have to like put them on a pedestal until we tear them off that pedestal. But anyways, we, we like have to uh, make someone a celebrity and, and celebrate what they've done and, and, and really look at what they did. But the point in all of this and th these stories, these uh, life accounts being put in the Bible for us to study is for our growth and our encouragement. And so that instead of saying like, wow, I could never do that or I can never be like them. Actually, the entire point is that we would be like, whoa, if that dude's name got listed, I've got a lot of hope, don't I? Like, it, 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 you understand that this gospel is for everyone, right? For every single person. And these people are supposed to highlight that, to show us that, okay? Uh, if you don't believe that, let me tell you about this prostitute named Rahab. Let me tell you about this hothead named Peter who won't shut up ever, okay? Let me tell you about this afflicted woman named Mary Magdalene who was touched by Jesus. These were not celebrities. These were hurt-filled, broken individuals who did one thing well. They surrendered themselves through faith. And that is what makes them a hero, what we call a hero. And you and I can do that exact same thing, okay? So that is our hope in showing you all these. Now, I have a question for you. Who likes full circle moments, okay? Like when something comes full circle. Uh, Pastor Nicole has this thing that she says, I, I'm not a big feelings guy, okay? I don't, I don't have a lot of feelings. In fact, she has this thing where she says, I have a feeling, like singular. She will say in meetings, did that hurt your feeling? Not your feelings, your feeling, okay? You, you, you track with me? But one thing that does get me feeling some feelings, okay, is full circle moments. Like if, if uh, someone that I've invested my life in, discipled, helped, and then like 10 years pass and I see them and they're chasing Jesus, like that makes me swell up with emotions and feel really humbled, honestly, to even have a part in their life, okay? But why I bring up full circle moments is because actually she started this series talking about Rahab a few weeks ago, and I did not know this until she preached that message. I would have found it in my preparation for Ruth today, but I did not realize how closely Rahab and Ruth were, were connected in the story of the Old Testament, okay? So just for the full circle moment I'm trying to highlight here, just to, to wrap it all up for you, is this. Rahab married Salmon, one of the spies, and their son was Boaz, who, spoiler alert, Ruth ends up marrying, okay? So I, I, maybe I missed that in Sunday school class growing up or something, but I was like, wow, that is like a very close connection. So our first 
message of this series was Rahab, and it would be like her granddaughter-in-law ends up being Ruth, our last one, okay? So our final hero of the faith, Ruth, her story is told in the Old Testament book, and it is called Ruth, okay? So if you need help finding it later, just look for her name. It's a short one, but I'm not going to read you the entire thing or anything. I would encourage you to read it. In fact, if you just read a chapter a day, you'd be done by like Wednesday, okay? So I would encourage you to read your Bible on your own time, but uh, I will just give you the highlights and kind of get into some things this morning. So right in Ruth 1, it starts out by framing the story. Here's the story, all right? There was a man named Elimelech, and during a time of famine in Israel, he took his wife and his two sons, and he headed for the country of Moab. We're not sure how quickly, but it seems like fairly soon after their arrival, he dies, okay? This left his wife, Naomi, and their two sons living in this foreign land. The boys did find love, and they married Moabite women. One of them was Ruth, another one, a woman named Orpah. They lived there for 10 years, but then somehow, the details are left out, both of these young men died, okay? So now we have the mother and her two daughters-in-law living together. This is not exactly a recipe for success, okay? This is all just in the first five verses of the book of Ruth, all right? But then in verse 6, Naomi decides she has had enough, and she packs, home, packs up to head home for Israel. And initially, the daughters are traveling back with her. But then in verse 8, we read her telling these young women this. She says, go back, go home, live with your mothers, and may God treat you as graciously as you treated your deceased husbands and me. May God give each of you a new home and a new husband. Now, they put up a bit of a fight, but Naomi insisted. And so Orpah, daughter-in-law number one, headed back for Moab. But Ruth the one who got a book of the Bible named after her, sticks it out and stays with Naomi, okay? And she has this line that actually, maybe you've heard this before and you've wondered where it, where it comes from. It comes from here in Ruth. It says uh, in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1, Ruth emphatically states, Don't force me to leave you. Don't make me go home. Where you go, I go. And where you live, I will live. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Where you die, I will die. And that's where I will be buried. So help me, God, not even death itself is going to come between us. All right? And so Naomi and Ruth head back to Israel. The odds are quite stacked against them because Naomi has no more sons that she can offer to Ruth to be her new husband. There were obviously cultural expectations and things. We don't have time to get into all that this morning. Again, I'd encourage you to read it because you will see uh, how the family dynamic played, played in with Jewish law and everything. Uh, but anyways, what I want to highlight for you in, in telling this story is one way that I feel I am very much created in the image of God. Like we, we say and we know that we are created in the image of God, but let me just propose for you one way I feel I'm very much created in the image of God, okay? Uh, I think I'm very much like God in how absolutely enraged I get. You're like, whoa, where's this going? When one of my children is offended or hurt, or, uh, or uh, afflicted, okay, in any way. When they are being hurt, frustrated, provoked. Now, in my context, I have five kids. Usually, it's one of them that's doing the provoking. So that makes me even more upset because I have raised them better. I have taught them better than that, right? But you say, what does that have to do with Ruth? Well, Ruth did the exact opposite. Ruth, actually, she didn't inflict hurt. She went above and beyond 
her expectations so that she could love her mother-in-law well. She did not have to do that. She could have done exactly what Orpah did. She could have gone back to her country and lived that way. But instead, she said, I will stay by your side regardless of what that does or does not mean for my future. And where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people will become my people, okay? And just like we know that God is angered by his children being hurt from what he tells us in his word, we also know that he is delighted to see his children live in harmony and grace and support of each other. And that's what Ruth did. And that's another way I'm created in the image of God is when I see one of my kids stick up for one of my other kids, when I see one of my kids stick up for anybody, honestly, when I see them love others well, I'm so proud. I swell up with pride. And our Father God does the same thing. You see, we are created in his image and we carry his characteristics inside of us. And Ruth is a shining example of what that looks like when we put it into practice. Her loyalty and her devotion to her mother-in-law were God-given traits that were coming out of her and honoring Naomi. So we started this morning with my rant about celebrities in the West and how we've got to take our Western worldview out of our Bible reading time, okay? But I, I want to read you this from Eugene Peterson in regards to Ruth as we kind of wrap up, because this really frames it all really well. Eugene Peterson writes this, this is the introduction to the book of Ruth in the message translation. He says, as we read the broad, comprehensive biblical story of God at work in the world, most of us are entirely impressed. God speaking creation into being, God laying the foundations of the life of faith through great and definitive fathers and mothers, God saving a people out of a brutal slave existence and then forming them into lives of free and obedient love, God raising up leaders who direct and guide through the tangle of difficulties, always involved in living joyfully and responsibly before God, is very impressive. It's so impressive, in fact, that many of us, while remaining impressed, feel left out. Our unimpressive, very ordinary lives make us feel like outsiders to such a star-studded cast. We disqualify ourselves. Guilt or willfulness or accident makes a loophole, and we assume that what is true for everyone else is not true for us. We conclude that we are somehow just not religious, and thus we are unfit to participate in the big story. And then we turn a page and we come on this small story of two widows and a farmer in their out-of-the-way village. The outsider Ruth was not born into the faith and felt no natural part of it, like many of us. But she came to find herself gathered into the story and given a quiet and obscure part that proved critical to the way everything turned out. The unassuming ending carries this punchline. Boaz married Ruth. She had a son, Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. The words that jumped off the page at me when I read that were these, quiet and obscure. Quiet and obscure. Friends, we can make our father's heart swell with joy when we just do our quiet and obscure role well. When we love others well, when we... Uh, when we love ourselves as he has created us, when we don't deny who he has, who he has made us to be, but we understand we are created in his image. And, and so we accept that. And then we love others well. We will be seen as heroic in the eyes of our father, God, okay? And so 
I think that the reality is we need to come to grips with this. God does not make mistakes. He doesn't make junk. He has a unique purpose for every single individual in this room, okay? And when we get that right, we can then move towards loving others well. When we believe that about ourselves, we can then believe it about other people. And we can start to give a lot of grace for each other's journey. Instead of frustrating a fellow believer, one of God's kids, okay? We can love them well. We can give them grace to grow. We can pray for them. We can forgive them. We can stop making it all about us and we can make it about loving our father's children. That's what we have the opportunity to do. And when we do that, we will be heroes of our own faith. We will really just be regular, broken individuals who choose to trust in what God says and that what he says is true, okay? It's really that simple. God will do what he says he will do. And I don't believe any of these people that we have studied or anybody that you read about in the Bible set out to be a hero of the faith. I really don't. I believe they just chose to believe in what God was asking them to do. And that's something that you can do. And that's something that I can do. We can just choose to believe, choose to have that faith like we've talked about all morning. These individuals chose to believe the words that Jesus spoke right into their lives. And we can do that as well. In fact, Really, there's one place I want to be a hero with my faith, and that's with my family. If I can just impact my family, if they can just look at me and see that my actions and my beliefs lined up with each other, that my choices and my faith connect, that'll be enough for me. And I think that's something we all can aspire to. Can we just play our part well? Yes, it might feel quiet and obscure, but there's nothing wrong with quiet and obscure. Because the celebrity of it, the celebration of it all, is more of a Western thing. It's not, that's not the point. It is not that we would be raised up as some celebrity in our household or celebrity in our, our community, but it's that we would just love our families well, we would love our God well, and that we would let time and faithfulness, see, I believe in the principle, the law of time and faithfulness, which says this, when you go far enough, long enough with Jesus Christ, you will be an inspiration and encouragement to someone else on their Christian journey. And so just like Rahab and just like Ruth and just like Peter and Esther and Mary Magdalene, we can do that very same thing. We can choose to have faith, to play our role well, to, to live in time and faithfulness, let God keep score and let him choose when the impact is made and how it's made. And then hopefully those closest to us will be the ones that we inspire the most. So if you would stand with me, I just want to pray as we close up this series, as we talk about these eight heroes of faith that we have uh, learned about. But I just want to praise God for what he's shown us over these last four weeks, these eight mini sermons, if you will, and, and this encouragement of these regular, ordinary lives that we also live and what God can and will do with them. So Jesus, we just praise you in this place. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. We thank you that we are regular, broken individuals, just like every one of the, these heroes of the faith. And we can put our faith with our actions and just trust you with the results. And in due time, Lord, you will show those that matter most to us, those that are closest to us, how we might be a hero of, of faith for them and encouragement and inspiration for them. But more than any, Lord, anything, Lord, we want, to encourage, we, we want to honor you and we want to obey you and we want to just live faithfully uh, and journey towards the Father. So we praise you and we thank you for what you've shown us in this last month.
Amen. Thank you for listening to the Eerie First Podcast. We'd love it if you'd give us a rating and a review on your podcast app, and please subscribe so you never miss a message. You can follow Eerie First on Facebook or Instagram, or visit eeriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.